Hi, this is Kazi Toganus, and you're listening to Pop Culture Addicts. Welcome to Pop Culture Addicts, the weekly show that brings you interviews and discussions with people in our pop culture world. You know, that means we get to talk more about movies, more music, more video games, and more. <laughs> Don't miss a week. You never know who's going to be our next guest. So, okay, addicts, are you ready for your pop culture fix? Welcome to Pop Culture Addicts. Our guest today is, is Kazi Toganas. Kazi is a former Golden Gloves boxer turned actor. Now, I'm thrilled to have Kazi here because I wanted to talk to him not only about his career in, in acting and what he's been doing, but also the fight that he has personally taken up with the disease lupus after his mother's diagnosis, what he's been doing with the, you know, to fight and combat the disease, and about a, a very important short film that he made. So uh, very glad and excited to have Kazi here today. Welcome to the show, Kazi. Well, thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us. We're very excited. So, Kazi, your your mother was diagnosed with lupus, which on, even on its best days can be a very difficult and, and trying disease, uh, to put it mildly. And I, I thought it was kind of interesting, you know, how you reacted to that and responded publicly anyway. Uh, and you decided to take this disease head on, both in real life to help your mother, but also uh, on the screen to help benefit others uh, with your award-winning short film called uh, Standing Eight. So I'm hoping that you can tell us about that film, what was the, how the inception of the project came along and, and how you've used that film to benefit others in the fight against lupus. Sure, that was, um... Wow, that covered a lot of ground. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so, well, lupus, to, to some of your listeners, in case they don't know, I feel like we should probably start with, like, what a description of, of yeah. what that disease is, right? So, yeah, please do. Uh, lupus is an autoimmune disease wherein the body's uh, immune system uh, attacks healthy organs and tissues. Yes. So it, it can be fatal. Um, there's a wide variety of symptoms, and it often goes misdiagnosed or undiagnosed, uh, the average time for a lupus patient to get diagnosed is six years. Uh, being that that's, this is 2021, I find that to be a little unacceptable. Um, and it, it's, it's really one of those, those hidden type of diseases which do, doesn't always lead to physical manifestations that are easily recognizable as what happens with you know, other afflictions that people have. So uh, lupus warriors have the difficult task of dealing with pain, chronic pain, chronic fatigue, um, all, all the wide variety of issues that go along with the different types of lupus that you could have. It could affect your lungs, it could affect your kidneys, it could affect your heart, it could affect your brain, it could affect your skin, your joints. So the wide variety of symptoms that you have to contend with, a lot of people who have lupus also have to contend with the fact that people um, look at them and say, well, well, you don't look sick, right? Uh, and, and it's, it's really, it's really a hard thing for people who are suffering with lupus to deal with is the fact that, you know, a lot of times their symptoms aren't manifesting outwardly to, and, and they end up dealing with like a very internal battle that sometimes even their own loved ones don't recognize. Uh, right. in, in my parents' life, I've, I've seen my parents, unfortunately, lose a lot of friends and have you know family that essentially has kind of turned their back on them and I, I blame a lot of that for lack of attempting to understand what it is that lupus is and how it affects people and how um 
the effects can be very dangerous. In my mother's case, she's faced death uh, on more than one occasion. Uh, she, she was one of the first patients to get treated with chemotherapy as a therapy for lupus. Like she um, went on chemo when I was about eight years old. Interesting. Yeah, she almost passed when I was when I was about two. Um, and, it, and, and she went on chemo again later when I was like a junior in high school. Uh, so it's been it's been quite a bit of a struggle for her, but not just in the sense that she's dealing with these physical manifestations of the disease. There's all these other sh other offshoots, you know, the social ramifications of having a, of, of a debilitating disease and and the the monetary ramifications of dealing with a lupus that uh, like a disease that that forces you uh, out of work, essentially, because when you're dealing with these chronic pain and uh fatigue issues, it becomes very, very hard to hold a, a full-time job. Mm -hmm. So that, that's a little bit of background on, on what people have to go through and what my mother had to go through. And I've, I've witnessed, um, you know, times where uh, my mother will just get a se like searing pain for no reason, like, and can't even stand to the point where she collapses in pain. Literally, uh, this happened in front of me maybe, you know, a few months ago, just for no reason, just her hip, all of a mm -hmm. sudden it just the, you know, the disease, for whatever reason, it just went ham. And uh, it's, it's not, it's not an easy thing to witness. And then, you know, you're great, you know, you're grateful for the moment that you're there to be able to help in, in any way you can. But it, again, what, what can you do if someone's experiencing this, this, this acute pain that lasts for like 20, 25 minutes, and then, you know, they, you know, they pass out from it or whatever. I mean, it's, it's, it can get really brutal. And, it, and it's this ongoing battle. And, there's not been one day that my mother has not experienced pain. She's experienced pain every day of my life and since I was before I was born. Every day, some some varying degree of pain. So after witnessing, you know, numerous events and seeing how how life has been tough for my mom to say the least, uh, I really decided I wanted to do something about it. And at the time, you know, I was. In, in a weird place with 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 acting, I was um, like I was kind of like mid career, um, getting frustrated with auditioning for roles and not getting them. And I I had a, a, a couple of friends of mine. One one was a director, Brian Kazmark, and a friend of mine who was a producer, uh, Louis Peduto. And we we were like, you know, we really got to do something. We all want to work together, you know. Uh, I was like, we should just do like a short film or something, just as like as like a warm up you know, to get ready for the big show to shoot like a feature film. And I was at the time I had auditioned to play a boxer a few times and it hadn't, you know, hadn't come together and didn't come to fruition, which was frustrating since I did have a, you know, a real background in boxing. You know, I'd fought 13 times. Um, and uh, we came up with this idea um, to involve lupus we were trying to figure out what the angle was going to be boxing lupus what are we going to do what's going to be the angle what's going to be the actual story and my co-producer antoine allen just mentioned he was like well why don't you just make the boxer have lupus and we were like wow we've never seen that before yeah. right that's that's mm -hmm. a rid like that's that's yeah. that was the key thing and we came up with the story uh we went to kickstarter to raise funds uh twice actually so once before we shot in pre-production we went to kickstarter to raise funds and then again uh after um uh we finished shooting uh 
and raise more money for post-production. So it was this, it was kind of like a, it was kind of an adventure going from a point where you have zero money to get a project off the ground to crowdfunding and doing push-ups and singing badly and doing anything that you standing in the middle of Times Square with a sign that says, you know, in my underwear saying, can, you know, have you heard of lupus? <laughs> um, you know, these are all things that I did to try to raise awareness for the film to, you know, to, to, to get, you know, get that attention we would need to get the funds that we would need. Sure. Depending um, on what time of year, standing in your underwear in Times Square could be quite the experience. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was September when we, when Oof. I did it. Um, so it was just on the cusp. It, it got cold, like right, right after I was very fortunate. Like yeah. the sun, the sun started going down and I'm standing there in my Superman underoos and I was like, Oh, this is going to get brutal. But <laughs> I, I, I was only out there for maybe like an hour and a half, may, maybe two hours max. It was, you know, um, it was enough. Cause it was just like weird attention that you get if you're standing sure. in Times Square holding yeah. a sign. Um, it was, it was, it was interesting. Some people came up and thanked me and were like, wow, thank you so much for raising awareness. And I suffer from lupus. And then we had other people who thought it was like some kind of disease competition that we were holding. And they were like, have you heard of, you know, have you heard of cancer? Like very aggressively. Oh, and wow. I, I was like, I, I have, it's not a competition, <laughs> you know? No. Um, it, 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 so it was with that, that in itself was like interesting and a learning curve. And, and actually, you know, I think, the final product that we came up with uh, spoke for itself. We ended up cleaning up at the indie film festivals. Unfortunately, we weren't able to get into any of the, the top tier Hollywood festivals since those are all basically used as premier events anyway. And right. it's all nepotism and people that you know and who you're related to. So we didn't get into those, but we did get into like the second tier indie festivals and we did very, very well. I think we got into like half of the ones that we applied to and won awards at half of the ones that we screened at so awesome. we came out really strong uh at the time that that year that we just had that really successful festival run is when i ended up getting cast in equalizer 2 which is what led to me eventually walking the red carpet for equalizer 2 and wearing like a little lupus pin to help raise awareness and that's where my work with the lupus foundation began because they reached out to me because you know the Getty images and right. sure. carpets, et cetera, sure. et cetera. People saw the pin and uh, they reached out and, and I guess they, you know, looked me up and they said, we saw that you have this movie about this, you know, this boxer who's diagnosed with lupus and we, we, we would love to work with you and, and, and promote it for you. So awesome. Yeah. That's, that's that, was, that was like the long winded explanation of that. Hey, long winded yeah. explanations are fantastic. <laughs> we, we like long answers. Long answers are good answers. You know, uh, the only way that I can relate to your your mother's experience and you know what she has gone through, my daughter is also autoimmune and has a, a an autoimmune condition called Guillain-Barré syndrome, yeah. which um, affects the central nervous system yeah. and and it it can be you know she's experiencing right now a lot of nerve and muscle pain and we're we're you know trying to get you know teachers you know because this is the first time in two years she's actually going back to high school was this year. And, and trying to get her teachers and, and everybody else to understand that there are going to be days that she just can't walk. Yeah. It's not that she doesn't want to or she, you know, she can't. And there's, you know, um, and, and, and getting them, like you said, there's the, the hidden symptoms and, and getting people to understand and appreciate those. It just as a side question, and this wasn't one that I had prepared in the notes or anything, but what do you think some of the biggest hurdles to education are? when it comes to these types of diseases? 
empathy. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. No, I, I, that's, that's, that answer is short and sweet, but it's the bullseye. I think you're absolutely right. Yeah. You know, having empathy for, for your fellow man and, and trying to look, put yourself in their position and their shoes and, you know, how would you deal with it if it was you? Yeah. And, and humans have that, oh, go ahead, go sorry, ahead. Humans have that tendency of the, well, I don't see it, so I don't believe it. Yeah. And that's ridiculous. You can't always see somebody's illness. It's not, that's just not how it works. Like, yeah. That's the war of the autoimmune warrior, right? Yeah. Um, is that, that, well, you don't look sick. Um, and that can come from teachers. It can come from friends. It can come from strangers. It can come from, uh, from everywhere. And unfortunately, in today's day and age, I feel like we've become, as a whole, worldwide, more selfish and more self-contained. And, and uh, that... That ability to empathize, empath, empathize is, is kind of it's disappeared. You know, yeah, it, it's uh, you know I, I'd say they're throwing like a, a, a really thick blanket over it, you know, and yeah. trying to smother it. Um, and uh, unfortunately, that's what it really takes for you know educators and and fellow students to really say, okay, kids are you know teacher, this is what my 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 kid is going through, and some people will instantly open up and be willing and then mm -hmm. others are are going to be resistant because they're set in their ways or whatever um and others are just jerks <laughs> plain so, and simple absolutely yeah. so yeah. how how's your mom doing now she's she's doing well i think uh you know she as much as she can yeah you know and that, i think that's really what it comes down to right is like mm -hmm. You know, she has this kind of internal struggle where she feels like lupus has kind of stopped her from doing what she wanted to with her life, which I think is a really, you know, that's a hard pill to swallow. Yeah. Um, Agreed. So in turn, though, on the other, the, the flip side to that coin is like, it's not anything that the person suffering from lupus has done. Right. You didn't ask for it. You didn't right. deserve it, but it, it's just, it's just the way things worked out. Um, and just trying to find the time for yourself and, and taking the little wins where you can take them. Absolutely. And, uh, so for instance, my mom has taken up knitting and every time she finishes a little knitting project, it's a win. Yeah. Absolutely. And, um, I think it's been really, really good for her to have like a craft uh, where she sees something from, you know, from inception to completion. Mm -hmm. and I think it's been good for her all around. Um, and of course, you know, she's also a very, you know, spiritual person and um, is strong in her faith. And I think that that's been pretty, a pretty critical component, especially because when, when she was diagnosed, I mean, the, the prognosis was like five to 10 years okay. of life. And she's at the point where she's hit the 40 year mark. That's beautiful. So That's incredible. Well, do me do me a favor, would you please, from one autoimmune family to another? Sure. Give your mom a great big hug for me. Ah, uh, Tim, you're gonna make me cry, man. I'm okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm not, not crying, crying over crying. here. Shut up. Yeah. Stop being nice to people, Tim. It's weird. <laughs> no, you know what? Um, you know, because I I think with with everything that my family's gone through in the last couple years, um, you know, you you become a lot more attached to these type of stories and, and these type of topics and you they mean more to you 
because of what people go through and you get to see the the heart of people and and how they're you know they're fighting and churning and they're moving forward and i and i those types of stories really inspire me and so yeah just give your mom a great big hug and tell her thank you for being her oh i I appreciate that and you uh make sure that you know that your kid knows that it's 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 doesn't define them yep we we celebrate our wins we take it one day at a time and we have a good day we celebrate the hell out of it and we knowing that the next day is probably going to suck because we lived up the day that was good (laughs) yeah but we you know what we have our little our little parties and our little celebrations on our good days and the next day we uh we medicate up a little bit we sit down a little bit more and we we probably watch a little more tv those days but you know what we we live them while we got them yeah. And it's just, it's just doing the best you can. That's all. That's all you can. That's it. Doing the best you can. Yep. Oh, man. Good. <laughs> We're getting heavy in here, dude. No, it, it, you know, it's hard because people don't, it's really, it, it's really difficult when you're like a family unit and you feel so isolated because people just don't get it. And when you have people that were in your life or that like have turned their backs on you and, and, and it just, it can feel really lonely and even as a family unit and it's just it's it's hard and sometimes when you have to articulate it and kind of talk to others about it it does it does you know it does bring out a certain level of 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 emotion in you because it's been a very private journey for a lot of uh, of us you know that deal with these these issues so i love tim's daughter like my little sister i mean she's she's me at 14 which is terrifying which scares the (laughs) hell out of me (laughs) (laughs) yeah but I mean, she's, she's amazing. She's a great kid. And I was emotionally right there with Tim the whole time. I mean, terrified and went and saw her in the hospital and it was hard and it's not my kid. Yeah. If it were my kid, I would be a mess. (laughs) And this is, this is not me being a mess yet. (laughs) No, no, but you know what you being there and sticking, you know, it means a lot to have a support system like, and that even if people aren't necessarily experiencing the same thing as you, knowing that people support you and absolutely. And that is so critical. And that's where building like a community out. And that's why, Mm -hmm. you know, for, for people with lupus, like, or like, you know, the lupus foundation, you know, providing a venue, right. For people to meet and, you know, yeah. like knowing that you're not alone. It just, it makes you feel very alone. And I, I totally, the, the, I, the, it can make you feel isolated and it, it becomes, it becomes, it becomes really hard because you're dealing with so many different, you know, it feels like the pressure just builds on you. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah and even through dealing with he, what he dealt with, with his daughter, what he's still dealing with, with his daughter, Tim was there through my dad's Alzheimer's diagnosis, my mom's breast cancer diagnosis and becoming a mom myself. He's, been amazing with me and my husband helping us with the you know she's she's a three-year-old this is normal it's like oh okay so we're not screwing her up she's just three (laughs) well i can't say you're not i mean i I have i have i'm not exactly the benchmark of parenting over here so you know (laughs) your your kids are you've you've met my other you've met my other two children you know how i did with those they're pretty okay (laughs) i mean parker's Parker's a 22 year old boy, so there's that going for him. Yeah, so I got a, I've got a 22 year old, a 19 year old, and a 14 year old. So okay, 
But they're good but, kids. Uh, They've got good heads on their shoulders. Yeah, They've got okay. a good support system. We're not going right. to we're not going to disown them yet. So they're okay. Uh, it took. <laughs> You know what? I, I had to get well into my I felt like I really came into my own deep in my 20s, like especially when it came to the understanding of what my um, my uh, mom was really going through. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. And to be honest, for me, uh, the biggest turning point uh, was actually when I made the movie and I started picking her brain when we were writing about what she went through when she was first diagnosed. Yeah. And that was that was uh, eye opener for oh, me, right? Yeah. Because like I really dug into her to her history and and listened to what she had to say and tried to incorporate as much of that that she told me into the the film. So there's a lot of my mother in that film. I do play the boxer who's diagnosed with lupus, but mm-hmm. it's it's it runs very parallel to like yeah. You know what, yeah. what? What happened to my mom? It is true, though, that when you hit your late twenties, all of a sudden your parents make sense. I, I, there were so many phone calls of me apologizing to my parents in my late twenties, oh, early thirties, oh, yeah. to, oh, to, yeah. to, to apologize for being such a flaming asshat in my in my late teens and early twenties. Uh, I'm gonna so. publicly, I will publicly apologize on this platform with the mom. I'm sorry. Like <laughs> I was a stupid teenager. I had no idea what I was talking about. Yeah. You were right. I was wrong. Yeah. It happens. Yeah. yeah, I'm right. I'm right there with you. I was an idiot. I was. <laughs> I was a terror, especially my mom. We butted heads. We have very similar personalities. We look alike. So like it was. See, my mom and I are like uh, that, but that's because I was so much like my dad, mm-hmm. and I was such a daddy's girl. And so my mom and I just all the time fought. And it wasn't until I became a mother myself that now I'm mothering a tiny version of myself that I'm like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, I get it. Yeah, yeah, you're in trouble later. Well, yeah. <laughs> All right. So we have done the big, heavy, making everybody cry topic. Uh, yeah. I am hoping that the next question doesn't result in tears. Hoping. <laughs> what a, a lead in, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> so in your recent interview with the So Wizard podcast, you mentioned rescuing a cat during the pandemic. Yeah. So have you always been a cat person and is there more to that story? Uh, you know, the, um, you know, pandemic, there's definitely ways that the pandemic has been like a blessing. You know, I, I got married during the pandemic. Uh, my, my Congratulations. wife, I, thank you. We, uh, we, just, we just realized like we clicked, you know, being stuck together 24 seven. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, I knew that she had always wanted a pet. And, and when I was a kid, my, my parents had, uh, cats. Um, so I, I was, I kind of, they, I was around them, but I never really like understood cats. Right. Mm-hmm. Just like, you know, but, um, I also have an affinity for, for animals period. Like I love dogs. I get along with dogs too. Um, nice. but yeah, we, it was like a Disney, uh, cartoon. This, I opened up the door, the front door, uh, in the middle of the night at like two in the morning. And here comes this little long hair cat just kind of like little she was little you know uh strolling through our yard and i was like are you she looked hungry i mean you know you can tell when a cat needs, mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. and i was like oh you you hungry and she kind of stopped and just looked at me and i said i'll get you some food and i was like yeah by the time i get to the kitchen come back to the front door this cat is gonna be right she's not there's no way she'll be there nope she waited i brought her some food um I brought actually some fried chicken. She just mm. destroyed it. 
I brought nice. her that is a more. good way to win I, over a cat's yeah, heart. I, I just kept bringing her more, and she just kept eating it all. <laughs> and then it, it was like every few nights we would see her. You know, I was going to bed, you know, really late, you know, because there was nothing to wake up for at that time, right. really, right? So uh, she started coming back more regularly, and it got to the point where we um, we felt like we had just – you know, connected. Clearly, she she knew that we were a good food source for mm -hmm. her, but she also trusted us. I mean, I think the second time that I fed her, she just like was rubbing against me, just mm -hmm. like totally like oh. And then there was yeah. one one insane night where you know I think she she was definitely in heat and a um like an a, like a big tomcat came after her, but she wanted nothing to do with him. And I heard this screeching, and I like ran outside and I saw this big tomcat like chase her into a bush. And I went and I like chased him off and I was like, come on, come on. And then she just ran up alongside of me and then we ran together up across the street and up our steps. And she just followed me right up there. And just, it was like this bond that I experienced with this animal that I just, you know, um, and she's That's feral. Awesome. So you'd think that like a feral cat would behave a certain way, but she is, she is the neatest. I mean, okay. So cat lover story, crazy, right? You know how I, I I'm, I'm trying to figure out what she's doing because she used to eat like and they wouldn't leave a, a a crumb anything right when she first mm -hmm. moved when we first had her recently i'm noticing that there's food everywhere i'm like what is she doing well one day i caught her you know how she eats now she dips her paw into the food <laughs> oh that's funny that's awesome like she thinks she's human like i've never she's, seen she's like, scooping I've, it up she's literally scooping that's funny food. And like eating it like like a rib, right? Where you would like lick your fingers clean, so you got the, <laughs> you eat the meat, and then you're like, and then you scoop again. Nice. And she's bougie; she eats fancy feet, so you know it's like little pieces of meat in there, and they fall <laughs> off. And she doesn't worry about the ones that fall off because do humans eat food off the floor? Usually, no, right? Yeah. So she just scoops and she eats, and then she licks her paw clean, and then scoops again. And That's there's there's no competition to her food anymore, so she doesn't feel like she has to scarf it all down and yeah. not leave a trace of it. Yeah. Mina, her name's Mina, after mm -hmm. after uh, famous literary character Wilhelmina Harker from yeah. Nice. Nice. Oh, goodness. I am a huge cat lover. I mean, I am an animal lover of all sorts, but we have two cats and a dog, and my tuxedo cat, his name is Ernest. He's just an <laughs> idiot, but I love him. But he... He will, I don't know how he does it, but he will meet me in front of my bedroom door every morning. Or if I get up in the middle of the night to use the bathroom or check on my kid or whatever, he's at my door, walks down the hallway with me into the bathroom, insists on being between my feet while I'm using the bathroom because I have set the boundary that no, you do not sit on my lap while I am on the toilet. That is not okay. Between my feet is as far away as he will go. It's like, He's just, he's glued to me. Ah, he loves you. He does. He does. He's ah, just, he's a awesome. special little creature. Yeah. <laughs> We've been feeding her, her, her sister is around, but she's still terrified of humans. So I'm, so I've been like, you know, it's her, so they have all the same markings. Yeah. Just like one's a long hair, one's a short hair, but they were, you know, they were feral, you know, alley cats. And I've just kind of been feeding her sister, Lucy. We named her mm. and Lucy. So yeah. hopefully, hopefully we'll be able to, you know, she's going to be more of a project, but you know, if I can, if I can save her too, I would, that would make me very happy. That'd be cool. Yeah. All the other kitties should be All safe. Right. So 
your your pre-film experiences in sports on, on a first glance kind of seemed that you did things that were almost like the polar opposites of each other. For instance, you were both a boxer uh, and a figure skater. Now, one sport dudes see as manly. Uh, the other one, they tend to give uh, any guy that's participating in a lot of crap because they, either they can't do it or they don't understand it. Or they just don't look that good in tights. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, well, there's always that. I mean, arguably, um, some some dudes do look good in tights, so you know it's. it's mad there you go. <laughs> but uh, did being fluid in various forms of sports uh, help you in your career as an actor? And did your involvement in these sports have an impact on each other as you were growing up? So I was an only child, um, you know, because the, the lupus uh, sure. it was recommended to my mom not to even try. Uh, so, her, you know, I was kind of the miracle baby, um, emergency C-section, whatever. So I was only child. There was no chance of siblings. Uh, One so, and done. Yeah, I, I kind of grew up just self-entertaining. You know, my action figures and that was it. And uh, uh, figure skating, I, I played, my parents had me play a different sport every season. Uh, so they wanted me to learn how to skate. So I played baseball, I would do soccer, you know, a little bit of basketball. I only did maybe one season of football. Uh, no hockey, because my mom was definitely afraid of me losing my teeth. <laughs> you know, uh, and we Understood. grew up, you know, we, we, you know, winter sports were like a thing because, you know, we grew up in like, you know, I grew up in Oak Park, which is like the first suburb on the west side of Chicago. So um, skating was just a natural thing. You just the ice arena was right down the street. We were just, you know, so I learned how to skate. And then I just realized I wasn't really a big team sport guy. And I did really love playing to the crowd. And, and I, I really it didn't come you know, all the pieces didn't fit until I got a little older to realize that I really, the, the thing that I enjoyed most about skating was the performance aspect of it, right? Like not the, not the competition aspect, but the being able to get in front of the crowd and, and, you know, get them all hyped up. I, I loved that. Uh, so skating just kind of became my jam through high school. Um, and yeah, absolutely. There were times where people did pipe up and have something to say, but, uh, um, you know, it didn't, didn't always end well for him. Uh, I wasn't, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't a pushover, you know, growing up where I grew up and stuff. We didn't, uh, yeah, it just, it just wasn't going to go that way. Um, so I, you know, I would get into it. If someone said something, I'd, I'd be like, you know, like, Oh, you're a tough guy. And then they'd be really weird. They'd get really weirded out because they don't expect like a figure skater to respond in a certain way or whatever. But Right. You know, I just, uh, you know, I wasn't having it. There was, I wasn't going to be bullied. So, um, awesome. Uh, yeah. Even, even in high school, I, I had a brawl with a, with my high school bully who was a football player. And, um, you know, after that, I, I never heard a, a, a peep from anybody as far as saying anything about me skating. I'm sure. Uh, and then I got to college and, I kind of realized, you know, when you're younger, you don't see all the politics involved in sports and whatnot. And mm -hmm. I just kind of really got sick of all of the, the nonsense, really. Like, the, the, it's a very subjective sport. Uh, and on the East Coast, I felt like it was even more subjective than what I had dealt with uh, in, in the Midwestern competitions. And I just kind of got sick of it. I did the collegiate circuit. Uh, 
which was fun. But I'd always had this kind of thing for boxing. Like um, my my best friend in high school used to ride around with boxing gloves in his trunk, and we would go to parties, and people would box, and I just kind of had this this affinity for um, punching people in the face. <laughs> it's a fun thing to do. I mean, let's just call a spade a spade. I liked it, you know, a bit of a sadist. Didn't like getting hit myself, um, so I no. But hitting other it, people is fun. It it, it absolutely is, uh, and. Um, so once I kind of got sick of skating, uh, I, within about six months, I, I walked into a boxing gym, which in itself was kind of a thing. Cause like, that's like boxing is definitely one of those sports that I think people a lot of times do consider like, Oh, one day I would love to box. I'd like to get into that one day. Uh, but they never do it because it, 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 it does take, you know, it does take that step. It's like, uh, mm-hmm. I feel like you got to kind of, you know, get your, get your courage up to do it. Uh, but then I, I just absolutely fell in love with boxing and no boxing is subjective as well. You know, right. even if you lose, you still, you know, you can still give the other guy a black eye, right. which there really is no black eye in ice skating. You can't, you know, you lose, you lose, but in, in boxing, even, even in your losses, you know, you could, you could essentially win. So boxing just was like, kind of just felt natural to me. Cause it was already something I really enjoyed, you know, recreationally doing but i didn't have any formal training and then when i went to the gym i i learned what real fighters get to go through and that was like a whole new learning experience and it actually helped keep me sane because at the same time that i was boxing i also owned like a 24-hour diner which was incredibly stressful and boxing was like my outlet until i started acting owning a 24-hour diner sounds exhausting it was insanity i was really young i didn't know what i was doing um just kind of fell in my lap Uh, and uh i mean i i did the best that i could at the time but you know when you're in your early 20s you don't have you know i was 23 when i took the place over i didn't i didn't have any real leadership experience you have no idea what you're doing i had no finance background you know I, i i was a health and exercise science major but i just knew that i really wanted to run a place and and be my own boss which probably stems from the only child thing right you just want to be sure. your own boss um so, so it was you, that yeah it was challenging it was a challenge had you had you always wanted to own a restaurant or was it just that this opportunity popped up and so i wasn't i'm gonna take it yeah it was just the op- i was right place right time literally right place right time right situation and right. uh, fair enough. Yeah, just I wanted to be my own boss. I knew I did not like working for other people. Uh, when I was in, you know, when I was in college, I was before I even graduated, I was I was working full time at Valley Total Fitness as like a personal trainer and dealing with all the politics involved. It, it always like kind of circles back to like, you know, in-house politics that, that kind of make you not like things. And I realized pretty early on that I did not want to work for other people. Being so fluid, going from figure skating to boxing, the nature of your roles also seems to be pretty widely varied. Uh, it seems like some actors kind of get into their little niche and that's the only sort of role that they do because that's where they're comfortable. Mm. So how did you change your approach in portraying, let's say, James Marquis in Invisible Love and then Detective Blass in Shimmer? Mm. Uh so the biggest thing that appealed to me about acting, uh, especially the deeper I got into it, um, you know, boxing was my outlet and how I stayed mentally healthy before. And then when I started acting, that became my outlet. And, mm-hmm. and, and uh, it's a very unique way to express yourself. And initially, I thought that most roles that I would go for would end up being, you know, you know, I was getting 
branding advice, you know, you're going to be an action star, you're going to do these types of things. Um, but as I got more into it and kind of developed my skill set more, I realized that uh, I didn't really care about branding as much as being able to just step into many different types of shoes. So like you mentioned Invisible Love and Shimmer, those are both um, independent productions. Mm -hmm. um, uh, Invisible Love is a period piece that takes place in Indochina, like back in 19, I think it was set in like 1920 or something. Um, mm -hmm. And I play a womanizing uh, doctor who's been uh, basically kicked out of the United States for the like it's career wise he's lost his career in the United States for malpractice and he goes he wants to keep practicing medicine so he ends up in what later would be called Vietnam and uh he's just he's just a mess the guy's mm -hmm. just a mess like doesn't really know what he wants he's still married his wife is back in the states he meets a young nurse he kind of seduces her and and ends up just kind of being like a domino in the first domino in uh, a line of failed relationships for her. And, and the character approach there was really, I just, I just thought of like, I was like, I'm everything that this character does is to benefit himself. Like mm -hmm. he doesn't really care about other people, Be, despite being a doctor, taking a profession where you're supposed to be able to take care of people. I took the exact opposite mentality and just thought about everything was about me when I was on that. Like it was all about, it was all about James Marquis. And that was kind of like my approach. Um, Kurt Bloss, it's a contemporary piece. Shimmer is a, um, is a, is different tonally. Uh, you know, uh, Invisible Love was like kind of like a romantic drama uh, mm -hmm. period piece, right? And and Shimmer is more of a, you know, horror esque thriller. I'd say in the vein of like X Files. Okay. Right? Kind of got that kind of a feel to it. Um, some people, some someone I, someone on Amazon compared it to Stranger Things, okay. uh, kind of that kind of like a, you oh, know, nice. creepy, okay. creepy at times, but not you know more. I guess you would like to find it sci-fi. Um, anyway, so it's about this creature that moves around in the light, and I play this cop, and um, this cop that's trying to figure out what's killing these people, that's leaving these piles of crystallized remains, right? And uh, in that in that case. I, I had a, I did have a similar approach because he's, um, Kurt is 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 just uh, kind of headstrong. He's not the, not the smartest guy in the room, although he thinks he is. Uh, so, for him, it was it was a similar similar kind of thought process. I wanted, um, you know, characters a, a bit oblivious. He's kind of, you know, a bull in a china shop. But I also wanted to to be interesting, so I was able to work with the director to just give him. You know, we ad libbed a lot in that film, um, and and I'm 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 my always when I'm approaching roles, especially after Equalizer Two, when I realized that even Hollywood directors like Antoine Fuqua are very open to your ideas when it comes to roles. Like every line that I had in Equalizer Two was ad libbed; that was not scripted. So. Okay. You know, oh, cool. there was one day we were on set and Antoine Fuqua just walked up and was like, hey, what are we saying today? Right. And uh, I, I was like, wow. So, you know, when it comes to film, like and before that, I didn't have like a prevalent enough role in a Hollywood film to realize that directors are like good directors want to collaborate. They want to see what you bring to the table. So I after that, 
my approach to film roles, TV is very strict and rigid, but um, just just off of time alone, they have to fit in certain slots, et cetera. You know, film has a lot more leeway. So every every film that I did, I would just kind of bring what I thought would work and, you know, ad lib. And I would usually have a discussion, especially like the indie stuff, like talk to the director and be like, hey, this is kind of what I'm thinking, the direction that I'm going to go. So for Kurt, we we really went off book a lot, a lot of dialogue changed. Um, and it just, it worked really well because it allowed me to just be like supernatural, like not supernatural, but like just very natural in my, in my um, performance. Uh, and it was a really fun character to play. I don't know if, it, when, if you've seen the movie, but it's, um, it gets dark, but it's, it was, it was a lot of fun to play him. Whereas James Marquis was a lot more draining to play. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I'm interested in the Shimmer movie. That sounds really interesting. Yeah, it's it's a fun little film. It's on um, it's on Amazon. I think they're selling DVDs at Walmart, and it's on Vudu, uh, and I think a, right. couple of, a couple of other platforms. It's fun. It's got that you know, it's got that kind of creep little vibe to it. And mm-hmm. um, oh, I'm actually even rocking the T-shirt because I got another interview for Shimmer. Oh, look at you go! <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Look uh, at you go! Yeah, yeah. Are you afraid of the light? Uh, great co-star. Uh, Nicole Galicia, great producer, Freya Saxon on that. Uh, Rob Ciano was the director, writer. Uh, really, really fun collaborative uh, effort on that project. Um, awesome. You know, when you're on an indie film, a lot of times people got to wear multiple hats, and uh, I think a, a lot of a lot of folks on that production really rose to the occasion. It's hard getting an indie film off the ground. An indie feature film, it's it's not an easy task. And uh, we yeah, I've heard that from other from other people who have done indie films that the amount of the the sleepless nights, the the hours put in, uh, all the all the behind the all the behind the scenes work that has to be done even to turn the camera on. So yeah, yeah, it's the difference right with the indie is you just don't have the number of people to to handle all of the workload. So more workload ends up on a like like a larger workload ends up on a smaller group of people. So you end up you know, that's where the sleepless nights kick in because you have like, for instance, a director might end up having to handle their own payroll, which is totally too creative and completely It's like, you know, like both sides right. of your brain firing, you know, you get exhausted from, from having to do things like that. Um, Understood. It's, yeah, yeah it's, it's a challenge. All right. So Kazi, silly question time. Sure. All right. Now there's no wrong answer. Now, Perhaps the sillier response, the better, but that's up to you. So here we go. A penguin wearing a sombrero walks into your room right now. What does he say to you, and why is he there? I want my tequila on ice. (laughs) That's a good answer. That's a good answer. I was hoping it was going to take him longer to think of something. You you fired that (laughs) off pretty quick. No wonder the director let you improvise your own lines. All right. <laughs> Just dialing up, dialing up catchphrases like that. <laughs> Master of improv over there. So, I, lo- I mean, I love it. I'm not going to lie. I, I, improv is my... I, you know, improv is fun. I make, I make things come to life. I like it. Not Good. to toot my own horn, but to toot my oh, own horn. Oh, go ahead. Toot yeah. your own yeah. horn. Toot away. Hey, if you don't, who is, right? You've got to be your own advocate. There you go. Exactly. Nothing wrong with it. So I know that the last year, year and a half, whatever it is at this point, time doesn't really matter anymore. 
but things have definitely changed for the entertainment industry since this, the pandemic. With every reason that we're all already aware of, we all know what happened. We don't have to go into that. But as an actor, as a writer, as a producer, how important are the arts to the world around us still? How seriously do you take it? And is it still fun to act even now when you feel like the world is depending on you that much more to for their escape? So I, I'm, I'm, I, I, it's a complicated subject as to the direction that I think my industry is headed. Um, I think that a lot of people in my industry believe themselves to be a little more important than they actually are. I think that they forget that they're entertainers uh, and they weigh in on topics in which they have no real business weighing in on. Um, and unfortunately, that ends up alienating huge swaths of potential audience members to the point mm -hmm. where you hear about boycotts and people canceling accounts and doing such things. Sure. Um, I think that uh, there's, there, there needs to be content for everyone, right? Mm -hmm. uh, I don't think that you can cater to any one investor. I don't think you can cater to any one group of people. I think there needs to be diversity of thought across the board as far as creating art, right? Because art can really be the tip of the spear. Uh, unfortunately, Hollywood caters to money. Uh, so there's a disconnect. Uh, and I, I, I'm afraid that that disconnect will continue to grow as long as um, art is suppressed for the sake of money. So where does that leave me as an actor? Do I love acting? Absolutely. Do I love stepping into other shoes? 100%. It, would I, is there anything else that I could see myself doing? Yeah, I, I, you, know, you, do, you have to do what you have to do for money, and you have to do what you have to do to survive and take care of your family, but acting is my one true love, 100%. I love writing as well. Um, I write projects that I would like to see myself direct, write, produce, write, you know, act in, whatever. Uh, so I think what's going to happen is, um, and also because of the pandemic, it's limited the amount of productions that are happening and going forward because of the cost, uh, sure. uh because of the cost of COVID protocols and whatnot. Mm -hmm. I think that you're going to see a resurgence in smaller films that are more thought out, that are going to be more performance based and overall better, um, more emotional, um, okay. journeys, journeys that people can can really, really um, experience the human emotion. And that as, 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 as actors, that's what we are there to convey is, is, is stories with, that, that carry emotional weight, that touch people, that can change people. You know, that's why, you know, Standing Eight was so important to me because it can help people, it can raise awareness, it can do these types of things. And I think, um, I think unfortunately, a lot of the industry has lost track of the power of, of film in, in exchange for, you know, ticket sales or downloads or whatever. And it, we do live in a very interesting time. We live in a time where anyone could potentially even shoot a movie with an iPhone. So I think you're going to see a, a more raw, truly art form start to develop out of this. And I think it will, in the long run, be a better thing for audiences because it's going to create more variety and it's... Um, not going to have this kind of uh, uniformity of thought, which art should absolutely never be. Art should always be challenging. And right. I, I, I hope that 
you know, that, it, that, that the, art, the art form side of the entertainment industry gains steam and, and continues to grow. And we see more projects like I, I just did a, um, uh, an indie, I helped produce an indie called Mindwash, which is basically essentially about the dangers of social media um, and mm -hmm. becoming over-reliant and, and the disconnect that happens between people when they just just think of the world as, it's like social media is like an extension of, of your world, which as everyone knows, you only present yourself on social media you want to be seen, not the real version. Right, right. Um, so like projects like that that would never ever get greenlit, you know, by, by Hollywood, whereas Hollywood is casting social media stars, you know, for their followings, right? So it's important. I think it's really important that that people who want to make their art find a way to make it happen. And that includes, you know, people that are making films. I do feel like we're going to get more of that, like, artisan type with the, we're going to have more of the the homemade, fresh look on things which I appreciate because yeah. you can only make a live action sequel to a cartoon movie so many times. <laughs> Fast and Furious would like to challenge you on that. Speaking to the choir, uh, preaching <laughs> to the choir, I should say. Yeah, I, you know, I could go on for hours with, <laughs> with what I, I just don't understand or, uh, and, 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 and a lot of times um, box office return for these types of things uh, doesn't necessarily, you know, it doesn't always equate that the, the two don't go hand in hand just because, you know, something was a popular property 25 years ago or whatever, doesn't necessarily mean it'll translate now because you, you right. decide to revamp it or recast or do whatever. I mean, um, it's a different world. Stories it, should be different. It is absolutely. And, the, uh, and there's so many, you know, there's international films, there's, there's stories that, you know, now through, you know, these streaming platforms that are just, you know, fascinating that we didn't have access to. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, I, I do know, I know other filmmakers who, who, who feel the same way and actors and, you know, there's, there's a place and a time for everything. So I hope that, you know, we continue to grow and that we don't just say, Hey, how can I recycle this script that I've done three or four right. times? Because if you, if you look yeah. at human history, if you look at human history as a whole, there have been revolutions. There was the Industrial Revolution and just everything from the the invention of the printing press to newspapers to nightly TV to getting your news on your computer to getting your news on your phone. Things are supposed to move forward. And I feel like Hollywood is finally at the point where it's being forced to move forward. It's it's not going to get to sit in its box anymore and say, well, this is how we do it because this is how we've always done it. Yeah. Because yeah. they're not going to be able to afford to continue doing it that way. No, it won't, it won't, it won't survive in its current state. And it's either going to be learn to do a new way or fall to the wayside and yeah. let somebody else step up where they can figure out how to do it. Yeah, I mean, look, Blockbuster lasted for a while. I think there's only one left now. So yeah. every, you know, the, 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 Times are a changing, so I think that um, you know one way or another, you know, content content will be created and it'll be out there for for everyone because everyone will always need a source of entertainment. Like that's right. never ever going to go anywhere. It's a it, entertainment is a commodity. But the pandemic has been kind of a a silver lining for independent content creators that we had time 
we could do the fun things we wanted to do. We could make our small projects and hope that something comes from them. Yeah. Well, especially because Hollywood kind of stopped cranking stuff out for a while. It just became impossible. But, you know, there's, yeah, it's the small, I mean, you know, the small intimate storylines sometimes are like the ones that just like really get you. Like, Mm -hmm. you're just like, Mm -hmm. wow. Like, I feel like that movie spoke to my soul. You know what I mean? And the, 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 because you actually feel the emotion, right? You can't really feel the emotion when half the movie is basically a cartoon because it's all computer generated or whatever it is. And I'm not taking anything away from spectacle films. They, they exist. The problem is when everything is spectacle, uh, where's, where's the emotion in that, right? Right. Right. No, you know, I absolutely agreed. Kazi, we have enjoyed talking to you so much today. Where can our viewers and our listeners go to find out more about your work and the work that you've got coming out? Uh, well, I'm primarily on Instagram uh, at Kazi Toganus at K-A-Z-T-A-U-G-I-N-A-S. Uh, and then I think I might update my Facebook once every four months. Uh, and that's official Kazi Toganus on Facebook. Um, but yeah, mostly mostly active on Insta. And then Standing 8, Standing 8 is available for free for Prime users. So if anyone wants to see Standing 8 about a boxer who gets diagnosed with lupus, um, independently funded on on Prime right now. We will link your Instagram and um, Standing 8 as well. And I think, you know, honestly, we're going to link the Lupus Foundation as well so that people can find that. And if they find it in their hearts to donate, they can donate. Yeah, at team, least they can find out more about it. Yeah, Team Standing 8 has a, um, I'll send you guys over a link. Team Standing 8, uh, we have our own uh, fundraising page. Awesome. For, Beautiful. For, yeah, for Lupus Yeah, Tri-State. please do. Yeah. Please do. That'd be wonderful. Yeah, thanks, yeah, We'll guys. make sure that gets in there. We want to make sure that, uh, you know, if people are watching this and they, they get to see the Standing 8 and they, they're moved by the story and out of the goodness of their hearts, they can help somebody, uh, you know, with that empathy we were talking about earlier, then then let's let's do that. So that'd be really good. Talking so, about be without making us cry again. <laughs> <laughs> Just got my composure back. Uh, but we also want to remind everybody that subscribing is the single most important thing that you can do to help us ensure that we get more amazing guests like Kazi here to have these great conversations with and, you know, and for you guys to listen to. So please subscribe. It's going to help us here at Pop Culture Addicts more than we can ever really tell you. But make sure that you go check out Standing 8 and donate, please, to uh, the uh, the Standing 8 team and what they're doing um, and, and the Lupus Foundation. That's amazing work that they're doing, and, and those things definitely need our assistance. And remember, kids, pop culture, it's all around you. It influences everything we do, every step we take. It's almost like the lyrics to a police song. But... Be sure to come back next week. We're going to have your fix waiting right here for you on Pop Culture Addicts. Thanks again, Kazi. Thank, Thank you. you so much. Thanks for watching, everybody. Have a good night. Bye. Hey, thanks for listening to Pop Culture Addicts. If you're interested in being a guest on a future episode of Pop Culture Addicts, you can reach us on either Instagram or Twitter by using the handle at PCA Pod Show. You can also email us at PCA Pod Show at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.
copyright 2021 pop culture addicts reference to any specific product or entity mentioned on this podcast does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation of by pop culture addicts or any of its sponsors the views expressed by guests are their own and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity that they represent if you have any questions about this disclaimer please contact us via email at pcapodshow at gmail.com